Hello, and welcome to United for Peace, episode 1.4, Operation Unokat. We left off with a floundering ceasefire, but Onuk had two big reasons for not immediately punishing Katanga for its duplicity. One is that Katanga was at least nominally in negotiations with the Congo central government to reintegrate into the state, and Onuk did not want to jeopardize this by engaging in any more offensive operations. Again, after all, Katanga had not opened fire on UN personnel or anything after the ceasefire went into effect. 2. The UN recognized that it had to resolve the command issues between Leopoldville and Katanga Command before proceeding. Katanga Command explicitly stated its position that it reserved the right to disagree with the Mission Force Commander. Relations with Katanga Command would remain problematic until December 1st, when O'Brien resigned his position. This is clearly the character of a force for global domination. Nonetheless, on November 24th, the Security Council passed Security Council Resolution 169, which, among other things, declared all secessionist activity in Katanga to be illegal in consideration of the fundamental law of the Congo or the Loi Fundamentale. It demanded that all such activity cease forthwith. It also declared, quote, full and firm support, unquote, for the central government of the Congo, and the determination to support the government, quote, to maintain law and order and national integrity, end quote. This was partially due to frustration over the ongoing failure to deport mercenaries and prevent their return to the Congo. It was partially because the new Secretary General, Utant, was less averse to military force than his predecessor, the late Dag Hammarskjöld. And ultimately, it was because failure to reintegrate Katanga into the Congo was destabilizing Congo politics. Antoine Gizenga, nominally Deputy Prime Minister at this time, departed Leopoldville in early December to deal with a political situation in Stanleyville, ostensibly. As a disciple of Lumumba, that great Congolese leftist pan-Africanist, Gizenga harbored great animosity towards the standing government of the Congo, which seemed, more than anything, to be a puppet government of the West. He also resented the government's opening of negotiations with Katanga rather than committing to full reintegration by force. He also seemed likely to tap the Soviet Union for assistance just as Lumumba had, if decisive action was not taken to restore the sovereign integrity of the Congo. But we will set that aside for now. We will return to Gizenga, I promise. But Onuk is about to put Shombe up against the wall. Mindful of the above resolution, Onuk command ordered their forces to put, quote, an end to Katangi's resistance to UN policy by destruction of gendarmerie and other anti-UN resistance, end quote. Now, the Katangi's gendarmerie couldn't have known about this order from Onuk command, but Katanga's leaders certainly recognized that the UN was coming for them at this point. Chombe certainly recognized Security Council Resolution 169's significance and broadcast an inflammatory speech against Onuk that precipitated several violent incidents. This only reinforced Onuk's resolve to firmly handle the problem with the breakaway state. Here's one example. 
On 28th November 1961, several foreign consuls and UN officials were assaulted by Katangese gendarmes. Stafford George Ivan Smith and a UN representative to the Congo, Brian Urquhart, were beaten and kidnapped. Ivan Smith was extricated by the American consul present, but Sir Urquhart was taken to a Katangese quote-unquote paracommando camp. An Indian soldier who had been escorting Ivan Smith and Urquhart was killed in the kidnapping. Another Indian, Major Ajit Singh, was kidnapped as well. Onuk Command issued orders to respond to this and any other such incident with hard-hitting swiftness, not only with the power to attack concentrations of gendarmes, but to also overpower any counterattack. Now, the officer in charge indicates that Katangese leaders responded to the incident with legitimate alarm. He also reported that the leadership failed to exercise control over the aforementioned quote-unquote para-commandos, in particular, who continued to whip up anti-UN excitement among other Katangese personnel seemingly in an effort to rekindle the hostilities. Chombe actually personally arranged for Urquhart's return though only after Onuk threatened to attack his presidential palace directly. However, the government continued to broadcast anti-UN propaganda regularly and frequently, and although a public apology was issued in the form of a newspaper article from what was essentially a Katangese government mouthpiece, this apology included misinformation designed to rationalize the violence against the UN's representatives. You can imagine how well they took that. Escalating tensions further, on December 2nd, some drunken Katangese gendarmes began harassing airport workers at the airfield of Elizabethville. Soldiers from the Indian Dogra contingent of the mission, in response, disarmed and arrested this group. In response to this, remaining gendarmes and police around the airfield took up entrenched positions and opened fire on the troops. And so, the Indian Dogra troops disarmed and detained these combatants, as well. Once news of this event reached Elizabethville itself, the gendarmerie began patrolling the city and roadblocks were erected between the airfield, Elizabethville itself, the UN-operated Baluba refugee camp, and the nearby encampment of Swedish Onuk troops. But the situation that night was resolved peacefully when Onuk, on condition that the gendarmes are taken off the streets of Elizabethville, brought the detained gendarmes to the presidential palace for release at about midnight in a slow-moving convoy. Remaining police in Onuk custody were released early in the morning. On December 3rd, however, the gendarmerie returned to street patrols and the roadblocks. Some random shooting occurred, and an Onuk helicopter was fired upon. A Katangese dignitary delivered a public address accusing the UN of creating daily incidents to justify their presence, that they had started the previous day's incident, and that several Katangese gendarmes had been killed and wounded. None of this, of course, was true, and the incident was actually started by some unruly drunken gendarmes. But that is how this game works. Swedish troops on official business were shot at approaching a roadblock, injuring two of the three and killing one other, the driver. Four Swedish medical personnel sent to retrieve them 
were detained by Katangi's forces. So a UN representative insisted that the gendarmerie withdraw Elizabethville to their camp to avoid further incidents. The aforementioned Katangi's dignitary delivered another public address, treating this as an ultimatum, and rejected it. Communications were made between UN representatives and this dignitary, Mr. Kimba, but Kimba merely escalated rhetoric and accusations, creating an impasse between the UN and Katangi's positions. On December 4th, Katangi's paracommandos set up a formidable roadblock, possibly reinforcing an existing one, cutting Onak headquarters in Elizabethville off from the airport, severing its line of communication. Not thrilled by any of this, Onuk launched Operation Unokat, which called for the stalwart defense of UN positions and limited efforts to reopen the road to Elizabethville until reinforcements could arrive. The efforts were limited mostly because Brigadier Raja and Sir Ivan Smith advised Onuk Katanga units to be patient and that they could not take any further offensive action until the Security Council approved it. Right. Onuk sent a strong patrol to probe this strong roadblock and, you know, maybe uh, intimidated a little. But it was found to be manned by up to 300 troops and armored cars. It was no joke. Ivan Smith and Mr. Urquhart attempted to secure an agreement by Mr. Kimba to withdraw Katangi's forces to camp. Yes, Mr. Urquhart, the very same kidnapped previously by Katangi's personnel. Again, it's not always easy being a politician. Can you imagine strolling up to a meeting with an official whose army had already kidnapped you before? Anyway, Mr. Kimba said he would withdraw forces from the city if the UN withdrew its forces. As a gesture of good faith, the UN first withdrew forces around the roadblock. By the next morning, however, the roadblock was maintained just as before. On December 5th, UN representatives meeting with Mr. Kimba said it was obvious that he had, quote, no control whatever over his troops, end quote. It also became obvious that the gendarmerie was preparing to undertake a full-scale offensive operation. Their forces were advancing to encircle the airfield of Elizabethville, and a Katangi's Dornier flew over it in the morning, no doubt gathering intelligence. In addition to this, Mr. Kimba and another Katangi's dignitary were found preparing to leave for Jadoville. It was concluded that the sincerity of Onuk leaders in attempting to peacefully resolve the tensions and holding back their military capability had left their position weak, and that, quote, Further forbearance could only jeopardize the lives of Onuk personnel, end quote. Brigadier Raja was asked to, and I am quoting his orders from Mission Command, deal with the situation. And Indian troops moved at 13.45 hours to clear the Elizabethville roadblock. They completed the action in half an hour at the loss of an officer and four men wounded. At least 38 gendarmes and paracommandos were killed along with two non-Congolese mercenaries. An Onuk column coming from the airfield to assist in clearing the roadblock was attacked from two positions, which they found formidable, with evidence suggesting that the Katangi's offensive operation was more advanced than previously thought. The convoy withdrew for the night.
Mr. Kimba, in a public address, said all ministers would, quote, die at their post, end quote, and mortar and machine gun fire opened up on Onuk HQ in Elizabethville, although the last reports this day indicated no casualties had been taken. The HQ had previously been attacked by machine guns and mortars, so presumably the staff there had since laid out quality plans for sheltering from such attacks. In the following day, also, over 3,000 rounds of sniper fire would be lobbed at this HQ by non-Africans in civilian clothes. Still no casualties, though, luckily. Katanga's interior minister, Mr. Munongo, also delivered a speech decrying the UN, announcing the arrival of more mercenaries for the defense of Katanga, and declaring the unwavering support of all men and women for the freedom of Katanga. Elsewhere, troops which had cleared the aforementioned roadblock remained under fire as they held the strategically important location. Also, a Katangese gendarmerie aircraft dropped three bombs at the Elizabethville airfield, although no damage was done. On December 6th, Onuk Katanga undertook air operations despite bad weather. Swedish SOBs attacked a train transporting troops to Elizabethville. After the weather improved a little, Indian Canberras attacked hostile airfields at Jadoville and Kulwezi, setting ablaze the latter's fuel dump and destroying one Fuga fighter and three transport planes. Two Canberras were slightly damaged by small arms fire while one pilot suffered a minor leg wound. They reported a bridge between Jadoville and Elizabethville had been destroyed. Also on the 6th, Swedish troops moved out to clear the roadblock where their comrades had previously been shot on official business. The gendarmes manning the block fled, but not until after one Swedish soldier suffered a minor hand wound. On the 7th, Katanga ramped up its anti-Onuk efforts by cutting the power and water connections to the airfield and Onuk Katanga HQ. Radio Katanga also broadcast an appeal to the people to assemble at the presidential palace to receive arms for combating the UN. The UN countered with its own radio broadcast in French and Swahili, urging the population to remain calm and remain in their homes. Onuk, for its part, took out several mortar positions that had been firing on the site of the roadblock between Elizabethville and Elizabethville Airfield. In addition to this, UN aerial attacks destroyed a Katangese ammo dump and two trucks carrying troops along the Jadoville Road. Political objections arose, especially from France, Portugal, South Africa, Rhodesia, and, most especially, Belgium and the UK. Officials from these states thought the attack on Katanga unjustified, and the UK even reversed course on a promise to supply bombs for the Indian Canberras in use. Belgium's foreign minister sent telegrams to Utant protesting the whole action. But, I mean, obviously, the former colonial slave-maker of Congo, who got this whole Katanga fiasco going in the first place for its neo-colonial interests, would protest. Not to be too hard on Belgium or anything. And, of course, Union Minière being an Anglo-Belgian company, British conservatives had much to say on the matter. Politicians in the United States, on the other hand, saw Congolese unity as a necessary condition for regional stability and, more importantly, for warding off communist scheming. Nonetheless, 
Onuk pressed on with its operation against Katanga. On the 9th of December, it cut all railroad traffic between Elizabethville and Rhodesia to stop the flow of arms. Now, despite the directive to destroy the gendarmerie and all other resistance to UN policy, a meeting between Prime Minister Adula and the chief of Onuk resulted in a joint declaration announced in Elizabethville that Onuk sought only the restoration of law and order and the expulsion of all mercenaries. Subsequent to this, the announcement went, Adula would seek a political solution with Katanga. Really, how many chances can Shombe hope for? Even after this announcement, when the senior military leaders of Onuk convened in Elizabethville HQ, the gendarmerie launched a mortar attack on the building, forcing them to meet in the cellar. They launched 106 grenades at the compound and ambushed those who later left the HQ. I guess they really, really don't want to seek a peaceful solution. They just want to be destroyed, I guess. Sean McKeon, force commander of all Onuk, decided they ought to clear Elizabethville of all resistance to ensure freedom of movement. Canberra's, escorted by J-29's bombed Camp Massart, the main gendarmerie base for Elizabethville, and an Irish raid set the gendarmes' main fuel depot on fire. All the while, a Gurkha company, an Ethiopian battalion, a heavy mortar troop, and more armored cars were sent to Katanga Command. This brought its total troop strength to approximately 5,000 at this time. So, on December 15th, Onuk launched a general offensive to secure the city center and cut off escape routes to the gendarmerie. The proximity of the headquarters was quickly secured, while Gurkha troops attacked gendarmerie positions in the city center, Ethiopian troops cut off escape routes, and Swedish and Irish troops captured the city's industrial zone, setting the stage for a direct assault on Camp Massart. Occupation of the city commenced slowly, attributed largely to tension between units of different nationality, indiscipline in some units, and disrespect of command in others. But by December 18th, Onuk controlled almost all of Elizabethville. Chombe's presidential palace and the Union Minier headquarters were still under Katangi's control, and sniper and mortar fire continued sporadically. On the 19th, Chombe met with Cyril Adula at Kitona Air Base to negotiate an end to the conflict. He had been requesting a ceasefire since the 14th, but Adula wanted the UN to force Chombe into a weaker position before accepting any ceasefires. That way, more favorable terms could be made on the Congo's part. The United States supported this position, but the French and British especially protested. The UK, in fact, threatened to withdraw all support for the operation if they did not cease fire in favor of a political arrangement. With tensions in the UN Security Council rising, as well as in NATO, the US finally decided to ask Ralph Bunch to arrange a meeting between Adula and Chombe. With Chombe and Adula set to meet, Utant ordered a ceasefire in Katanga, which Brigadier Raja obliged ordering all troops to fire only if fired upon first. Sporadic fighting continued, with Ethiopian troops finally capturing Union Minier headquarters, where sniper and mortifier continued to emanate. 
But Elizabethville, for the most part, fell silent. UN ordnance officers rounded the city, disposing of unexploded munitions, and civilian life continued. At Kitona Air Base, under the protection of the U.S. and U.N., Chombe met with Cyril Adula and a group of other Congolese ministers, who, I should note, were the ministers most opposed to Katangi's secession out of the central government. Chombe tried to stall, saying he couldn't possibly negotiate anything regarding constitutional matters alone, but Bunch suggested that he could negotiate an agreement and also state that position in a letter to the UN for posterity. On December 21st, Chombe signed an eight-point agreement known as the Kitona Declaration that in effect recognized the Congolese constitution throughout all of the country and would end the Katanga secession. However, he did maintain, as he had the whole time, that he would have to deliberate with other officials as well before the agreement could really move forward. It was submitted to the Katangese parliament, which created a commission to consider it. The commission recommended adopting it, but the parliament as a whole changed the language to refer to it as a working draft, and created committees to pour over every detail about it. Clearly, the parliament was not eager to recognize it, and Chombe didn't really want them to. On every substantial point of reintegration into the Congo, Chombe responded with objections and hesitation. By June 1962, Chombe would break off reintegration negotiations entirely, and Katanga would celebrate the second anniversary of its independence on July 11th. Just a little spoiler for you there. But at this time, the fighting between Onuk and Katanga was over. 21 UN personnel had died, and 100 were wounded during Operation Unokat. The Katangese Gendarmerie took similar losses, in addition to 100 captured. Chombe breaking off negotiations in 1962 wasn't the only crisis that year. In early 1962, well, technically late 1961, another crisis erupted with Antoine Gizenga. That's right, we're finally back to Gizenga, but that will have to wait until next time, I'm afraid. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join me next time on United for Peace as we enter the final act of the United Nations Operation in the Congo. <laughs>